Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from City National Bank providing highly personalized service and proactive advice to entrepreneurs, professionals, their businesses, and their families since 1954. Strong client relationships combined with sophisticated solutions have made City National one of the most highly recommended financial services providers. The people you trust, trust City National. Learn more at cnb.com. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Connor McPherson, the Irish playwright who's become a New York favorite over the last 20 years with plays like The Weir, Shining City, and The Seafarer, all haunted by mystery and touched with the supernatural. His latest play, Girl from the North Country, is now at the Public Theatre Off-Broadway following a well-received run in London that started at the Old Vic and moved to the West End. Perhaps most notable of all, Girl from the North Country features some 20 pre-existing songs by Bob Dylan. But don't call it a jukebox musical. Hi, Connor. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It is very clear that although... Girl from the North Country has sort of all the trappings of what one might consider a jukebox musical. It's definitely not that. And to a degree, I feel like, is it even a musical? Because it operates on such a different way from so many traditional musicals. How do you think of it? I really don't know because I don't have a lot of experience of, of musicals, yeah. really. And I think... In a I fun, mean, yeah. it's not that it's not a musical because it yeah. doesn't have songs in it because there are like 20 of those Dylan songs in there, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly equally musical yeah. time yeah. as a you know to dialogue i would say I, I would think at least yeah probably at least maybe more yeah so um it's yeah it's a show which definitely uses um tons of songs um <laughs> but i think in a funny way i think all plays and playwrights probably uh, aspire to that condition you know i think that you know, most playwrights that I know of would sort of think of plays as songs in a funny way. Hmm. You know, if and probably plays should be closer to that than they are to literature in a funny way. You know. Can you tell me more about that? Like- well, I think it's like a, a theatre show uh, is operating 
uh, in a three-dimensional space, in four-dimensional, mm-hmm. five-dimensional maybe, because <laughs> it's kind of got a very mysterious uh, quality to it, anything that happens in the theatre. And um, so the play words on the page, um, you know, that's two dimensions. And of course you can bring your imagination to it when you're reading it, but when the actors are inhabiting it and, uh, you know, you're sitting in the darkness uh, as an audience member, really you should something beyond what's just in front of you happening should feel like it's occurring and we should be all sort of swept up into some kind of trance-like uh, commitment to, right. to, to what's happening um, so in that sense it's kind of like that seems closer to music mm-hmm. than, than just a kind of uh, someone reading something so to me I would say yeah it's got to have that sort of strange um, you know beyond logic beyond you know, uh, I don't know, beyond simple narrative structure, you know, it, it should have a feeling that what's most important is not really happening in front of us, but it's we're feeling it, you know, in the darkness and in the edges of the play and, you know, underneath the play mm-hmm. and we're connecting to it in a kind of physical way. So for me, I think that's what theatre that's what I would aspire to and that sometimes I would say feels more like music Mm. and I've always used music in my productions of plays straight plays and so to do this really to be honest with you feels really sort of natural Mm. like if you want to have a scene change I would always my favourite part of uh, directing a show would in a way be the scene change because you get to play music and you get to do something really beautiful with the lights and you know you really make it something and in a way that's we just have a ton of that happening right. in this show you know <laughs> you've yeah. got extended sequences with, with people full cast singing yeah, exactly. singing as they sort of reset the the stage you know so right. it's a lot of that is kind of happening right. Yeah. right let's talk a little bit about the origin of this piece you you were approached um to consider the idea of creating a stage piece uh, that used the catalog of Bob Dylan. And that was from Bob Dylan's management uh, company, is that right? I think so. I mean, I assume, you know, yeah, from whatever, yeah. whoever looks after Bob Dylan. And and what what was your first reaction? Um, my first reaction was that it was a, kind of a bad idea because <laughs> I just thought, you know... Are you a Dylan fan? Or were you a Dylan fan? Well, I was a, a Dylan admirer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I had probably, like everybody else, I, I probably had, like, you know, six Bob Dylan albums, you mm-hmm. know, like everybody would have. And um, then uh, when I was approached about this, it wasn't that I thought it was a bad idea because I didn't think, you know, Bob Dylan was a great songwriter. It was just more that I thought, oh, you know, what's that? What, what, what is that? Like, what, what do you, you know, what, what? <laughs> you know, right. um, and... Um, I suppose as well, I just kind of thought, oh, this is just like, it's a cash-in. It's a kind of an idea where people are saying, let's take this, you know, brand and let's expand it and so forth. So it's, you know, you initially are very suspicious. So I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. But then I was walking along um, one day and I just sort of, for some reason, I just kind of... Where was this, in Dublin? In Dublin, yeah, where I live. And I live near the the sea, and I was walking along there, and I just, for some reason, I just, in my head, I just saw a kind of, um, an image of a kind of a play in the 1930s, which sort of felt like a kind of Eugene O'Neill kind of situation. I thought, oh, you know, if there was something set in that kind of place that was using Bob Dylan songs with those kind of instruments, um, you know, there could be something very different and kind of strange, you know. So I thought, well... Uh, 
probably that's not what they want you know so I was talking right, I was right. talking to my agent a few days later and I said oh I had this idea you know and he said oh well just write it down just put it on a piece of paper anyway so I just typed out a little you know page and a half of what it might be and sent in it in terms off. of the plot or the feel or all I of just the sort of thought well if there was um, I had been to Minnesota a few times and I thought well if you said something in the 1930s in Minnesota uh, you know but it's before Bob Dylan was born right. He's from that area. He's uh, from yeah. there. He was born in Duluth, and uh, he grew up in Hibbing. And uh, he, you know, so I I just thought, well, if there was something set in a guest house, and there's a family who have the guest house, and there's all these guests kind of coming through there, and it's a depression, and nobody's anywhere to live, and nobody has any money, and they sing Bob Dylan songs, it's sort of, I don't know. So I sent that off, and then a few days later, really, I got um, uh, a call to say that Bob Dylan liked that idea and that I could use whatever songs I wanted. And then I suppose I became, um, from that point, kind of sort of intrigued then because um, it just felt like a a lovely way... Because they sent me then all his albums, like about 50 albums came, a ton or 60, I don't know, loads. And uh, so I was then able to just listen to them all because I knew I could use them in any way or use whatever songs I wanted. It was just began to become just kind of a very interesting uh, thing to do. Did... As you listened to these, to the songs, uh, did they feel like a good match for your writing and the kind of subjects that you're drawn to in terms of... Well, what I thought was good was um, that a lot of the time you don't really know what Bob Dylan is saying, you know, in a a literal sense. Um, And not because you can't understand his enunciation, but because... Yeah, because the lyrics are... are, Mysterious sometimes. They're discursive or suggestive or, you know, so they, you know, there's a lot of um, stream of consciousness kind of imagery really is going on. So in a way, I knew that... um, Okay, but at the same time, uh, everybody is you know feels a connection to his songs and thinks they know what they're about in some way so i thought well if you just did that and it seemed to it seemed to sort of uh, open up a kind of inner world for the characters that like a kind of inner portraiture in some kind of way well then he's actually bringing a kind of huge quirkiness and individuality to the proceedings which um would you know you you simply can't create you know so um so i i thought yeah it would it, it would suit Right. And how then did you go about choosing the songs? There are, as you said, whatever, 60 albums um, yeah. with lots and lots of music, and you've got it down to 20-something well, songs. Well, I just... Only a couple of which are his most recognizable. Really only one, maybe two. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just would listen, and if there was a song that I liked... I would go okay. Musically or lyrically or either? Kind of more musically. Mm. And then if lyrically, you know, you know, yeah, if, if it wasn't completely at odds with what you were doing, then it was fine. You know, and he, it didn't even have to be anything to do with what was happening. But his songs kind of all are to do with sort of anything that's happening in a funny way. You know, that's the, that's the weird thing. You could sort of do them in any situation and they kind of have a, a certain relevance. So, um, yeah, so it was more just I loaded them all onto my iPod and I would just walk around listening to his music and um, I'd hear a song, I'd hear, I don't know, hear a song like Idiot Wind mm. from uh, Blood on the Tracks. I'd go, oh, that's a really interesting song. And, uh, you know, I'd just go, oh, listen, like, that chord progression is so nice, you know, and uh, I would then, you know, you use that and put it in, you know. So then once we had done that... 
Did you have, yeah. I guess, but how, how far along in the idea of the plot and the characters would you have been at this point? Like, how much did the song shape the characters and the characters shape the Not song? Not so story? much, really. I think that the, the characters, yeah, were, you know, I think in a way it's a very traditional kind of uh, structure in the play. It's very old-fashioned in a way and um, really deals with kind of almost archetypes, you know. You've got like a patriarch and a kind of a matriarch and you've got a kind of holy person and you've got a kind of fugitive and you've got a kind of girl with a mysterious secret. And, you know, so you've got all these things going on which almost in a way are kind of Dylan-esque in a funny way. But... um, But they give it a kind of a, a structure, and then his his songs give it a kind of um, a strange, you know, quirky. I don't know, just um, you know, I don't know, just a, a wonderfully unique characteristic. So I felt that if I had a strong spine of a story, uh, that the songs would 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 kick it out more, kick it into weirder places, and that, you know, the tension between those two things would, would the you know, the feeling would be somewhere in the middle. Do you... How, was there a general... Was there a general thinking in terms of how the songs functioned in terms of these, you know, actors creating characters? Like, was everyone singing from the point of view of their own character in that specific moment, or did you also sort of open it up to... Uh, because it, it felt like a lot of those songs could, as you said, could like not only could apply to whatever you know the character was singing, mm. but can kind of expand out to kind of encompass the whole show. Like, how did you work with actors? We should say you directed the show as well. How did you work with actors in terms of thinking about how those songs function for their characters? Well, I think probably I would always say that this, you know, when you're singing, you're not in a scene with the other characters. You know, it's always somehow we're gone into your inner world. And so you're always just singing to us, the audience. So they don't really ever sing to each other on stage. Nobody looks at another person and sings um, unless uh, somehow they're supposed to be singing like they're doing a song at a party or something like that. But apart from that, uh, no, no, they would always, the songs tend to come straight out at us. Um, so that was the approach. There. How, how much... D- or how important a role did uh, orchestration for these songs play? Because they sound uh, quite different from, I think, a lot of the sound that a lot of people will be expecting from a lot of those songs. And yeah. you worked with an orchestrator, and you're actually credited with uh, some of the orchestrations yourself. Um, mm. How how much how did you work with uh, with Simon Hale um, on? kind of figuring out what the songs sound like and when you made tempo changes and when you had like how you sort of adjusted the music to fit the moment well we thought that a lot of the songs were really beautiful and when they were stripped back um to kind of acoustic instruments which is more like a 1930s sound uh we thought they were really beautiful i knew that i wanted a lot of choral arrangements because i felt that that was just uh something that would really you know be be resonant in the theater and um also just loving music and playing music yeah do you play music yourself yeah Yeah. i do but i mean do you write songs do you i have done like you know as a kind of amateur you know but um for like what what we would do would be uh sometimes i would come into rehearsals and well i I played the guitar a lot in rehearsals right so we um we'd have someone playing the piano i would have a guitar and maybe someone playing the drums and 
so we would be doing a scene and then I would start playing and we'd go here's okay the song should be here and we'll try this and we try that song but then sometimes I might have been listening to a song just the night before and I would go you know I was listening to this great song last night and I think we should put it in and we go well where could we put it and I go well look if we're already singing a song we've bought ourselves the space to just keep going so then we would flip into another song right. and uh, just do it and then Simon would very quickly arrange some backing vocals and we would just we would just plow on and keep going so it was just it was very um, instinctive in that way very organic and it wasn't that many songs that didn't make it you know maybe only about three songs yeah I was just going to ask if there there was a lot of shuffling not so much I mean not really you know uh, a few a few songs di- didn't make it but um but mostly what we tried kind of kind of worked, you know, so, yeah. I'll be back with more from Connor McPherson right after this. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from City National Bank, providing highly personalized service and proactive advice to entrepreneurs, professionals, their businesses, and their families since 1954. Strong client relationships combined with sophisticated solutions have made City National one of the most highly recommended financial services providers. The people you trust, trust City National. Learn more at cnb.com. And we're back with the playwright Connor McPherson. And then the show opened last year, first at the Old Vic in London. Mm. Uh, what, what was your sort of takeaway from that run what did you feel like oh did, like what surprised you about sort of what worked or was there anything that you thought oh I'd like to you know adjust these things like what, what, what was the sort of what did you learn from that production well I think I learned that probably I had gone about it in a way that was absolutely um, you know late you know hugely laden with risks which I hadn't ever really thought about too much because everything we did was just if it felt right then it was that was what we had to do and there was no um, very little logic going on and um, is that the risk part but there's very little logic going on well or? maybe but no probably no that was probably the right thing to do mm. but what i the risk was that i realized as we were coming towards previews and sort of oh god an audience is going to watch this um and there was a f- and it we hadn't sold any tickets mm. and um is bob dylan known in the uk oh sure i mean people yeah, know yeah they would yeah, they, right. they would know they would know who he is yeah, yeah but it was just i think the idea of a bob dylan musical just sounded like a bad idea yeah, it's, just, sure. it's just it's a horrible <laughs> idea you know so um we opened to the previews and i remember the first preview and the previews were sold out but we hadn't sold any tickets for the rest of the run it was going to be like a 12-week run or something it was like and i was like oh no and i heard that i was like, oh no this is going to be a disaster because it's like a big thousand seat theater at the ovic and i thought there's going to be like 50 people here every night and this is going to be oh horrendous so the first preview um i was watching it and i was like oh, okay it's kind of working and then when the interval came I ran out the back and I ran up to the green room and uh, uh, I didn't want to hear what anybody in the audience was saying because I was so terrified that they would just be saying it was terrible you know so I went up to the green room and uh, there was a tannoy you know and I could hear the so you could hear what's happening in the theatre but I could hear this buzz it sounded like a a beehive and I thought oh there's there's a buzz there's energy in the in the theater people are like blah, 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 talking so then i went back down i thought oh maybe you know so well everybody's kind of stayed so we then did this second half and as we came to the end of it i thought well if they start to shift about we're in trouble but they stayed with it right to the end and once we finished their reaction to it i knew that it worked or, or something had happened anyway and um then as it moved forward and opened then it very quickly sold out and so but at the 
but the risky part was I thought, my God, I never thought for a second, oh, wait a minute, shouldn't we be making some concession to uh, either putting Bob Dylan's hits in right, right. or anything like that? And I realized, oh, God, we hadn't done any of that. <laughs> was, that a, was that a conscious choice to not lean into the better known songs to sort of almost lean away from them not really I mean it was just no it wasn't I mean um, no it just I, I, and I you know I became very interested in a lot of the places that people don't go with Bob Dylan sort of into the like late 70s and into the 80s when he became a born again Christian his, uh, his you know he, he was there's at least one song from those, that period right uh, we've maybe got more than one four, yeah. Yeah. four. but yeah. uh, it's like it, that was a very very interesting time for instance so I just became fascinated by his passion at, in places like that and um, and really using those songs so um, yeah, but then, yeah, and at that early time, I was like, oh, my God, what have we done? But the songs are so beautiful. You know? Yeah, yeah. And now here at The Public, you're working with an entirely American cast. Right. Um, how, how has working, do they, do they have a relationship with the material that is at all different from uh, the U.K. cast that you were working with? Is there something, I guess, particularly American that they respond to in the music? Well, I think in the music and in the and in the whole thing, for them, I mean, when we did it in London, it was mostly Irish and British people doing it. So we had that layer of extra effort and also uh, ignorance because we were not uh, not Americans. Um, but then coming here, there was a kind of effortlessness about what the performers bring to it here because they just... Bob Dylan is like, I don't know, it's like it's so in their DNA and their understanding. But also being Americans they are they just they just they make they make it feel very integrated very they they just they just dig into it um so I suppose for me the fear has always been like not being an American I'm like well I just hope it kind of has a ring of something you know that is not going to alienate an American audience did it this is the first play you've written that's set in America yeah yeah um did it was it ever a possibility that it would not be set in the U.S., Did, was there something about this that felt not uniquely really. like I mean, it needed to be no. here? To be honest with you, like usually the first idea I have is the only idea. There's not, there won't be another one. You right. know, so <laughs> it, was, it was like you know, if, if it is going to be set in a boarding house in Duluth, that's right. or it's, it, no, it, I'm never doing it. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't have another idea. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that was that was kind of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, as I mentioned, you directed a Girl from the North Country, and you've directed a lot of your work um, mm. and other work on stage. Why was that a role that you wanted to step into, either in general uh, and and or uh, with Girl from the North Country in particular? Well, in general, I did it really because I started very young, and I was in college, and I started writing plays, and I didn't know anyone who directed plays, mm -hmm. and it was just simply a question of having to just get on with it and do it, um, and just learning on the job. And then with Girl from the North Country, initially it was supposed to be Matthew Warchus was supposed to direct it, and we did a workshop together, and then Matthew um, got sucked into doing Groundhog Day, mm -hmm. and uh, he said to me, I think you should direct Girl from the North Country, and I said, well, I've never directed a musical, and he said, it's the same as directing a play, he said, except there's just a lot more decisions. And, is that, is that correct, having directed a um, play with music now? I think, I think for me... It was kind of very similar, probably maybe okay. not for everybody, but I think he knew that I would probably enjoy it, and you know. So, do you enjoy it? Does it make you? Did it make you think? Oh, maybe I'd like to try my hand at another musical or a more traditional musical or anything like that. Well, I lo yeah, I mean, for me, it just makes a lot of sense, you know, like people singing on stage now. Whereas before, 
I don't know that I, 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 I could have figured out how to make that work. I think there's a way for me that it works. And, um, yeah, I could see myself doing it again. Yeah. You know. And you've done a lot of uh, work for the screen as well, both on film and on TV. How does... How, do you do you adjust your writing or the kind of stories you tell or the way you tell a story um, for the various medium that you're working in? Um, yeah, I guess they're very they are very different. They're very different kinds of dreams in a way. You know, I think um, watching films and TV is a very passive kind of dream. That you don't it really is so effortless. I think in the theater. Uh, the audience is really a much bigger part of what happens. They are half of what happens, and if yeah. you know, it's the, and that chemistry is 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 so important. So I probably do tend to do work in the theatre, which is designed to have a lot of gaps for the audience to come to give them the space to come and meet it and 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 make something of it. Where I think with screen, often you have to spell things out an awful lot more. You know. Right. Uh, speaking of screen, I noticed for the first time as I was preparing for this that uh, you worked on the screenplay for the Artemis Fowl movie that's coming out. That, that's right, uh, yeah. That is a fun series of YA books, and that yeah. seems like it was that fun to work on. Yeah, really fun to work on. Really warm, charming stories by your own Colfer. And um, yeah, and Ken Branagh is directing it. He, yeah. He oh, really, yeah. By the way, Kenneth Branagh is yeah, directing but it. Yeah, he's <laughs> just such a really, really lovely man to work with. Yeah. Just really down to earth. And also, as well, he's such a, he's such a great actor, too. It's like. Um, and for me, like I spend so much of my time working with actors. I think we 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 had a lovely, you know, a lovely lovely yeah. camaraderie. Yeah. Does speaking of working with actors, how does your work as a director influence the way you write for the stage? Uh, probably because I do tend to think of the the what I'm writing as 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 being a you know an event that's happening as opposed to being words on a on a page. And I think actors are very surprised with how quick I am not to really care if they say the lines properly you know or or you know I would be very quick to cut things or to say change things because it's really about the the feeling that they're giving off so I'm like if you know if they're rehearsing and I say oh wait I said that wrong I'm like you know don't stop it doesn't have to be right it just has to it just has to be good right it doesn't have to be right just just say anything just keep going you know and um so I think probably I'm in a funny way maybe Maybe a director who writes, actually. You know? Oh, yeah, all right. yeah, yeah. Do you you touched a little bit on this or answered this a little bit already? Uh, but your work often gravitates toward the kind of supernatural or kind of toward the mysterious, mm. and even this has some, uh, you know, a few touches of that here and there. I feel mm. like. Um, what draws you to that subject matter? Um, I think probably the feeling that. Um, the supernatural and the natural is all one thing, really, because I, do, I don't see that real life is any less mysterious than, um, than I suppose, you know, quote-unquote spirituality. To me, it's kind of... Everything is sort of kind of mind-blowing if you really stop and think about it. We don't have a clue what consciousness is or what existence is or what the universe is or what time is. We don't, we don't know anything about any of that stuff. So we sort of live in a giant supernatural mystery. Right. You know? Yeah, and it sounds to me, at least based on uh, some of the other things you've said, that the theater is sort of the best place to look into mysteries, to explore mysteries like those. Yes, well, there's something I think about the you know about the structure of of the ritual of theater, which is very ancient and um, has 
has arisen from, you know, religious ceremonies, because it does create that kind of strange trance-like thing in the dark. It does. You sit in the darkness and the story unfolds up there on the light of the altar. But really, I always think it's the darkness surrounding what's happening up there is the power. And I'm trying to get that darkness into and onto the stage. But, you know, even in the way I would light something, it's always like trying to pull the dark in, trying to pull the dark as, as much to the center of the whole thing as possible, you know. Do you have a favorite ghost story? Uh, favorite ghost story? I don't know, but I, def- I was at a thing the other night where someone was saying that um, they were talking to people who had worked on a renovation of the uh, the public theater mm-hmm. at Astor yeah. Place, and um, they there was a storm, and the people working in the um, working in, in the building they couldn't go home they were sort of stranded in the overnight mm-hmm. and there was kind of like no power and all that they just had to sort of sleep in there and um, apparently they saw a ghost when they were there and I just thought wow that's cool that's excellent what yeah. did the ghost do did they, t- did they explain I'm not sure what yeah. they saw but it was like yeah they, but apparently a few of them said that something happened that was really really freaked them out and um, I just think oh that's great because you know I mean that building's got to be haunted it's got to be haunted yeah. so and it's great that we're doing plays in there you right know? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you're here in New York through around the opening of Girl from the North Country what's next for you um, well I've been very busy uh, in the last couple of years, including doing Girl from the North Country. And now, when I do this, I have kind of created some space to uh, t- to just do some original work. So I just want to go back and just just do some new new ideas, you know. So I'm not really taking on any kind of like commissions or that kind of thing. Yeah. Theater? Are you thinking? I'm thinking theater. Yeah. All right. Mm. Well, we will. We look forward to seeing what it is. Okay. Thank you. Um, thanks, Connor. Thanks for being here. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Gordon. Cheers. That was Connor McPherson, the writer and director of Girl from the North Country, the new play with Bob Dylan music now running at Off-Broadway's Public Theater. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. On the next episode of StageCraft, we're back to a weekly schedule with a special episode recorded at Variety's Power of Broadway event, featuring a conversation with Hamilton producer Jeffrey Seller and Schubert Organization president Bob Wankel. Until then, see you at the theater. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from City National Bank, providing highly personalized service and proactive advice to entrepreneurs, professionals, their businesses, and their families since 1954. Strong client relationships combined with sophisticated solutions have made City National one of the most highly recommended financial services providers. The people you trust, trust City National. Learn more at cnb.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
lucylandslots.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.